Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Gospel of John, chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 4. Pardon me. Here we go. We'll be looking at uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, and considering home. John 14, verses 1 through 4. Give attention to God's holy word. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we find ourselves on the threshold, and we knock upon your door asking you to indeed meet with us by your Spirit through the means of grace, showing us your glory that we might be built up in our most holy faith. We ask also, Lord, at the end of this Lord's Day that you would give us strength and attention. Help us to lay aside the burdens of the coming week and the burdens of the prior week, that we might give attention to your word and that we might be fed by it. And we pray all of this for Jesus' sake. Amen. You know, it's often a monumental event in a child's life when they have their first sleepover. And when the child goes to the sleepover, there's always maybe a little bit of trepidation. Mom might be a little bit worried. Dad may be thinking about, I don't know what kind of neighborhood this is. And the child, of course, is excited. Now, the reason for this is in the child's life, in their experience, this is the first time they've been away from home. This is the first time they haven't slept in their own house. And all of these excited emotions, all of the, the worries, the fears, and, and the excitement of all the little tales that are told after the spend the night is over, are just a reflection of the fact that this child's home is really their home. You know, home is a very interesting idea, isn't it? It's been said that home is where the heart is. That sometimes is a little hokey. But a better definition that I've come across recently is that home is the place where your affections live. Home is the place where your affections find their abode. And of course, for Christians in this life, we have no abiding home in this life. As those that have been regenerated by the Spirit of Christ, our home is not here. But our home is in the Lord's presence. Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians 5 that being absent 
Uh, being present in the body means that we are absent from the Lord. And that the Christian's heart desire is to be present with the Lord for all eternity. Now, in this life, because we are not at home, because we are on an extended spend the night, as it were, our hearts become troubled. Our hearts become agitated because perhaps we wake up one day and realize that's not my window. This is not my room. This is not my kitchen. I don't hear my parents' voice. This is not my home, and it can be very troubling. But what we find in this passage is that the only way to deal with a troubled heart, the only anchor for a troubled heart, is faith in Christ and in His promise, specifically, to bring us home. The only anchor for a troubled heart is faith in Christ and in His promise to bring us home. As we look at this passage, we're going to consider three things. There's a problem, there's a promise, and there's a pathway. The problem, of course, is a troubled heart. The promise is Christ's promise to bring us home, and the pathway is through the cross. The first half of verse 1, we find the problem. The second half of verse 1, all the way through verse 3, we find the promise. And then in verse 4, we find the the pathway. Problem, promise, and pathway. So we begin by looking at the problem. Notice that Christ begins this marvelous discourse. The, the, the following uh, three chapters, by the way, the, uh, 14, 15, and 16, are known as the upper room discourse. This is the last thing Christ says to his disciples before he goes to the cross, in the upper room where the Lord's Supper was celebrated. Christ begins this uh, discourse with them with this, let not your heart be troubled. This highlights the problem for us. The disciples have just heard that Judas will betray. They've just been told that Peter, the fearless leader, will also deny Christ three times. And of course, they know that their Lord is going to the cross. He's going to be taken away from them, as he just told them at the end of chapter 13, verse 33. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. In this passage, the disciples' hearts are troubled at the impending death of Christ. Now think about this with me for a moment. Christ was their teacher, he was their master, he was their Lord, he was their Savior. And on top of all these things, he was also their friend. At a very human and intimate level, the disciples loved Christ. He was the best friend that they had ever had. He taught them things that even Moses didn't have revealed to him out of the Word of God. 
He was the one who promised to them eternal life. You remember when the disciples are all departing from Christ in John chapter 6. Christ said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood if you would have eternal life. And everyone leaves at this hard teaching. Then Christ turns to the twelve and says, are you also going to depart? And Peter says, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So he was not only their friend, he was their teacher, their master, all of these other things, but he was also the embodiment of the glory of God in their midst. Remember John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So in the incarnate Christ, these now 11 disciples had found a friend, a teacher, a master, the son of David, the son of God, and the manifestation of God Almighty in their midst. And Christ tells them, I'm going to go, and you can't follow. Words would fail me to try and describe what might be going on through the, the disciples' hearts right now. That's what's going on in this context. Christ is going to leave, and they're troubled. Now, however, our hearts are troubled when we suffer the miseries of this life. You hope, uh, I hope you are uh, familiar with that phrase, the miseries of this life. In the larger catechism of Westminster, they talk about God's punishments against sin and it is uh, death itself, sufferings, poverty, all of that, and all the miseries of this life are the condition of living in this fallen world. All the miseries of this life could be anything from death, disease, poverty, shame, loss of reputation, trial and troubles, thorns and thistles. All of these things are the miseries of this life. And these can be the source of a troubled heart because... When we go through these trials, as I'm sure many of you have, if not all of you, when we go through these hard providences, it's as if God's presence is taken away from us. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 88. Turn with me to Psalm 88. I won't read the whole thing, but just a few verses from this psalm. Psalm 88, the title reads, A song, a psalm for the sons of Korah to the chief musician, set to Mahalath Leonoth. Now that's a 50 cent Hebrew word. That word means a song for the afflicted. Leonoth is Hebrew for the afflicted. A contemplation of Ezra, the uh, Haman, the Ezrahite. O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to the grave. I'm counted with those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. Skipping down to verse 9 in the middle. Lord, I have called daily upon you. 
I've stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Skipping down to verse 13. But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? Now certainly Haman the Ezraite is going through the miseries of this life. And you notice that in his experience, it feels as if the Lord has hidden his face from Haman. It feels as if uh, the Lord is not listening to his prayers, that God has been withdrawn from him, and so his heart is troubled. The troubled heart is one of the hardest things to bear in this life. If our heart is out of balance, if it's stirred up like the waves of the sea, nothing else can be done. The troubled heart is not only a hard thing to bear, it's also an experience that only those who've experienced can understand. Proverbs 14.10, turn to Proverbs 14.10. Proverbs 14.10, Solomon writes, The heart knows its own bitterness. Those whose hearts are troubled know how bitter they really are. And that's a knowledge that can only be experienced. You can't communicate that to somebody else. The heart knows its own bitterness. Perhaps there are some here with a troubled heart. Perhaps, if I know anything about this congregation, my congregation, there are some who are weathering the storm of a troubled heart. Perhaps a loved one's been taken from you. Perhaps poverty is looming. Perhaps reputation's been taken. Perhaps death, misery, and all of the worries of this life are upon you right now. You're not alone. You are not the first, and you will not be the last. Christ has foreseen this problem. This problem is not an unforeseen nor an insurmountable problem. You notice in Psalm 88, if you read the whole thing, Haman is praying, and that's the one psalm in the entire Psalter that there is no answer from God. There is no note of joy or hope in the psalm. The joy comes that the psalm was recorded. You know that the Holy Spirit wrote the scriptures. And the fact that his prayer is recorded for us means that the Holy Spirit was right there listening to him, though he did not know it while he was praying that. You are not alone. Christ has provided the solution for this problem, and that is simply faith in him. So we've seen the problem in John 14. Now Christ provides us with his promise. And it begins with faith in the one who promises. Notice he says at the end of verse 1, You believe in God, believe also in me. Notice the relationship of verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. 
believe in me. Sometimes a verse like this, we, we, can, we can divide things that ought not to be divided. Christ is not saying, do everything in your power to keep your heart from being troubled. Christ is not commanding you something to do in your own strength. He's telling you the way to not let your heart be troubled is by believing in me. That's why these two phrases are put together. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Now, there's a little debate over this verse. Uh, In Greek, the two words for believe could either be indicatives, meaning they're making a statement of fact, or they could be two imperatives, meaning they're giving a command. If we take the first option, it would read like this. You believe in God. You also believe in me. Those are indicatives. If it's two imperatives, it would be like this. Believe in God and believe in me. You notice how those are commands. They're not stating a fact. They're giving commands. The way it's translated in the King James Bible and the New King James, I think most English translations, take it as mixed. Pay careful attention. Notice the first one is an indicative. You believe in God. The second one is a command. Believe in me. I think that's the proper way to understand it. What Christ is telling them is that you already believe in God's power. You already trust in the living and true God. Now, trust in me. Let not your heart be troubled, but believe in me. Well, this is a very important thing that Christ tells us. John Calvin, when he's commenting on this passage, says that it is not faith in God in a generic sense that we need. It is not faith in some divine power that helps our hearts. You often hear people talk this way, don't you? You hear people that will say, you know, I'm really going through a lot of stuff right now, but God has a plan. God's going to work it all out. Just a generic belief in God. Calvin tells us this doesn't help our hearts, but it is faith in Christ in particular that we are to look. Faith in the incarnate one that we have to have, uh, that we have to draw our attention to. This is for two simple reasons. One, God is above us. God is beyond us. The nature of God's being is so far beyond our comprehension. He is so high and lifted up that we have no conception of him. We can't know God generically. It's impossible. Unless God reveals himself to us. Unless God chooses to come down and show us his glory. And he's done that in the person of Christ. Christ is the glory of the only begotten, as it says in John 1.14. It is only in the person of Christ that God comes down and gives us a true picture of who he is. You know, the book of Revelation starts this way. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what God has revealed to us, and that's why we put our faith in Christ, because it's only in Him that we know God truly. The second reason for this, however, this is all coming from Calvin. In Christ, 
we not only see God as He truly is, but we also see the pattern that our own lives are to take. When Christ says, believe in me, He's not merely saying, I'm the only one that reveals God to you. He is saying that. But He's also saying that the life you see me leading the way that you see me walking through the troubles of this life is the way that you have to walk. Think about this. If Christ is the beloved Son, and He is, then no suffering that we experience can ultimately separate us from the love of God. Think about this. The Lord Jesus Christ is the beloved of the Father as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. If Christ is the beloved Son, all of the sufferings that He endured, which are unmatched by any of the sufferings that we go through, separated Him from the love of His Father. So if Christ was able to go through the sufferings, you also will go through the sufferings following His example. Christ said, take up your cross and follow me. And so Christ says, you believe in God, believe also in me. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Paul the Apostle says, none of these things can separate us from the love of Christ. None of these things can ultimately hide God's face from us. Likewise, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle writes in that passage, and he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, what is the joy that was set before Christ? Well, that's what we're going to find in our promise in John 14. The joy that was set before Christ is that he would return home with his family, those whom he loved. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says, first off, in my father's house are many mansions. The word mansion simply means dwelling place, a place to abide. There are enough rooms in the Father's house for the least and the great. No one will be kicked out of God's house who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. In my Father's house, there is plenty of space. You know, it's sometimes interesting. We talk about travel plans around the holidays, and our family's getting a little bit bigger. That's not an announcement, by the way. Don't, don't interpret that. Yeah. Bigger than it was a few years ago. Uh, and so sometimes, you know, family wants to host us, and so we ask ourselves the question, well, are they going to have room? We've got four little ones. I don't know if they have room for us. And we may or may not make that trip because we don't know if there's enough room. We may have to get an Airbnb. I can't afford that. I don't know where all the beds are going to come from. I can't fit all these people in that house. Christ is saying that's not a problem in the Father's house. There are many mansions. There's room enough even for you 
In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Notice how Christ turns his departure. When Christ is going to depart from them, it's painful. Their hearts are troubled. They don't want this to happen. But Christ says, I'm going to prepare the place for you. I'm going to continue to work for you even though you can't see me. The one who knows you better than yourself is preparing a place just for you. You know, sometimes you hear about college students. They leave home and go to college, and mom, because she loves her daughter, loves her son, will keep the room just as he left it. The posters are there. Maybe the stuffed animals are still on the bed. The, the comic books or whatever the boy enjoyed. And when the, when the son or the daughter comes home, what does mom do? Makes his favorite breakfast, pours her favorite kind of coffee, and does everything that she likes, preparing a place just for them. And Christ is saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I know all your needs, all your wants, all your preferences, all your desires. And I'm preparing this place in my Father's house just for you. You know, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter talks about this same idea. That the way we endure a troubled heart, the way we walk through this life, is in many ways by seeing the unseen, is by hoping and trusting in the one whom we love. Notice what Peter says in chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he writes and says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, a place in your Father's house, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials." that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom not having seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing. Though he has been taken away from our sight, yet in believing in him and believing in his promise, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I go to prepare a place for you, because in my Father's house there are many mansions. Well, Christ continues. It's not enough that he's going to prepare a place for us. He adds to this promise. He continues in verse 3, and he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. The Lord's purposes cannot be thwarted. The Lord's plans cannot be overturned. 
If he purposes to do something and promises to work on behalf of his people, it will be accomplished. You notice in this passage what Christ is saying is that my purpose is to prepare a place for you. And if that's my plan, then I'm going to make sure that I come back and receive you to myself. You know, thinking about the college student or perhaps a military veteran or a man that's been on a business trip for an extended period of time, he returns to his home. And what often happens? Well, if he has little children, perhaps the children come running out of the door. And as he's walking up the driveway, they come running out the door, waiting to give daddy a hug. And if he has a good relationship with his family, he'll drop his bags and embrace his children. And as he walks into the house, there's his wife waiting for him, and they hug and they embrace on the threshold of the house. You see, what Christ is saying here, that I will receive you to myself, is that when Christ returns, your hearts will rejoice with joy unspeakable when you see the one whom your soul loves, and he will embrace you with the everlasting arms and receive you into his Father's house. He is coming again for you. He's not going to leave you as orphans, as he'll say later on. And when he does this, he's going to receive you to himself so that where I am, you may be also. It's very interesting, isn't it? The the whole promise that Christ gives us here, he says, first... Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back and receive you to myself so that you will be with me forever. That's home. You know, they say a house is not a home without your loved ones. Heaven would not be heaven without Christ. And so Christ makes the promise that he's going to bring you home. Home for the Christian, is ultimately to be in the presence of the Lord forever. You know, St. Augustine once said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage your hearts by reminding you and pointing out to you If your heart is troubled, there is no vice. There is no escapist literature. There is no life hack or coping mechanism that you can come up with that will solve a troubled heart. There is nothing in this life that can give your heart the rest that it needs. In Christ alone, in his person and in his promise is where the heart finds rest. Christ said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. Brothers and sisters, at one level I rejoice at how simple my job is. My job is simply to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ from beginning to end. If you have guilt for sin, look to Christ. If you have a troubled heart, look to Christ. Look to Christ in everything because it's in Him that we find rest for our souls. Well, Christ has highlighted the problem for us. He's given us His promise. 
But then he also tells us that there's a pathway we have to walk. There's a pathway that Christ is going to walk, and there's a pathway that we have to walk. He begins in verse 4 by saying, And where I go, you know. Now, to make it very explicit, Christ is going back to the Father through the cross. That's what he's talking about. I am going to the Father through the cross. That's what the verse means. And so he says to them, where I'm going, you know, and the way that you know. There could be no other way for Christ to return home. There's no other path that he could take to get back to the Father. Because when Christ came down and took on our flesh, he came to accomplish salvation for us. And if salvation was going to be accomplished, if the joy that was set before him was going to happen, if the family reunion of heaven was going to be a reality, he had to die on the cross and pay for our sins. There's no other way that Christ could do what he had to do. Atonement had to be made so that his entrance with the Father would be certain. Not only for the Lord Jesus Christ, but for us. The pathway of the cross is a certainty. Look at Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and 22. Paul is returning after his missionary journeys, and he's going back to the churches he's planted, and he's coming back around, um, heading back to Jerusalem. In verse 21, Paul said that the Luke says of Paul, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Very counterintuitive, isn't it? If you were going to start a movement, and you go back to the uh, franchises that you had established. And you wanted to encourage them to stick with it, to stay with this movement. I don't think we would open up with, by the way, you're going to go through many tribulations. But that's exactly what Paul does. And notice how Luke describes it. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to stay in the faith, by telling them, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. There is no way around. The only way is through. There's no way around trial. There's no way around a troubled heart. The only way is through. But because Christ has walked that path before us, because Christ has made his promise, by faith we can walk through. I said also in John 14, he's going through the cross to the Father. He says also in here that he's going to the Father. You know, isn't it interesting when you go on a trip? The return journey is always shorter, isn't it? Isn't that odd? My family and I went to Georgia recently for the Presbytery, and, you know, going down there, it seems to take forever. But when you're returning home, the trip doesn't seem to... The, the, the trip seems to be over almost instantly. 
The reason for that is you know where you're going. When you go back home, you know the way. And it doesn't take as long. The trip is easier because you know where you're going. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you. The presence of the Father is worth the trouble. The presence of God is worth the tribulation. The glory of God is worth the thorns. Heaven forevermore with Christ is worth it. David says this in Psalm 17. Psalm 17, verse 15. David praying against his enemies, those who are oppressing him and afflicting him. In that psalm, he says, Deliver me from men who are your arm, uh, from the hand of wicked men. Verses 13 and 14. And as David is praying about all these trials and tribulations, he's pouring out his troubled heart to the Lord. He comes back to this. He says, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. And so David is saying, all this is worth it, so long as I can see your face in righteousness. So long as I can return home and be with my Father forever. A troubled heart is the common experience of the godly. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Christ himself, chapter 12 of John's gospel, was troubled. He says his soul was troubled at the approach of the cross. And shall we, his people, be spared? The promise of the gospel is not that you will never experience trial, tribulation, or trouble. That's not what Christ promises. The promise of the gospel is that Christ is able to reward you for all the troubles that you endure, for all the tears that are shed, for all the sleepless nights, for all the thorn hedges that you have to walk through. As he said of the Apostle Paul, for the many things that we must suffer for his name's sake, Christ is able to reward you. And the reward is an executive suite in the Father's house with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost forever. Christ, to accomplish this, is laboring for you even now. The fact that He is absent from your sight means He's working on your behalf in the Father's house. We also have to work by faith to be reunited with our Lord. And as we endure by believing in Christ and in His promise, one day we shall forever be with the Lord. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ who is our Savior, our Master, our Teacher, our Lord, the manifestation of your glory and the friend of sinners. 
We pray, Lord, that according to his merits and graces, that you would strengthen our hearts. For we confess, we struggle with unbelief, we struggle with troubled hearts. So we ask you to increase our faith. Help us evermore to look for Christ, to look, uh, to, to wait upon Christ, and to hope in his promises and not our life hacks or coping mechanisms to deal with our troubles. We pray, O Lord, that the power of your promises would be manifest and that you indeed would come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.